Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'm your host, Angela Richardson, and this is the This Green Life podcast. On this week's episode, we have on the amazing Dominique Drakeford. Dominique Drakeford is the founder of Melanin and Sustainable Style, Dom's Conscious Closet, and co-creator of Sustainable Brooklyn. Dominique is an ambassador for sustainable style and culture context. She has an electric energy for art, culture, and style. As an environmental educator, community advocate, and writer, Dominique works at the intersection of sustainability and style to heal, to heal our relationship to the earth and spark social change. Welcome, Dominique, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Angela. I'm very excited. Hey, I'm so excited. I'm so <laughs> glad to talk to you. <laughs> yes. You are my sustainable go-to person. And so I'm so Aww. very excited. I've learned so much from you um, in the last almost two years. And I'm yeah. so honored to have you on. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot to me. <laughs> it's actually still really weird when people say that they've been <laughs> listening or reading my work for a certain period of time I'm just like what really thank yeah. you yeah I remember when you very started. grateful yeah I remember when you started uh, melanin and sustainable style and I was like what is this I you were the first person that I ever heard about sustainable style from or sustainable fashion and fast fashion and all of that so you are just my go-to person <laughs> Oh, and I you have such an amazing that. style, I might add. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not even going to tell you who my style icon was growing up. <laughs> who? It was Missy Elliott. No really? ifs, ands, or buts about it. Oh, yes. So oh, I, I dedicate all of my style to, to Missy. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> so um, I want to talk to you about, you know, sustainable fashion and really what, um, what your journey towards sustainable fashion was like, what got you started and um, learning about fast fashion and the sustainability and, you know, what sparked that, what was that thing that sparked you on that journey? Yeah, definitely. So I'm from Oakland, California. That's where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think inherently growing up in the Bay Area, you are surrounded by nature. You're surrounded by trees. You have that privilege geographically. Right. Um, and so I've always been borderline obsessed with anything recreational, uh, anything outdoors, wilderness. I love hiking. I backpacked. Mm -hmm. One of the few black girls that I know that backpacked. Right. Um, I did a lot of outdoor activity. And so organically, I, I gained a, an appreci appreciation uh, for the outdoors. And, and naturally, I've wanted to protect it um, without even understanding this notion of sustainability or preservation or conservation. Right. Um, I, now, at the same time, it, I love fashion. I love style. I love hip-hop culture. I love just anything, especially any Black influence of style. I thrifted. I vintage shopped. That I loved fashion. I um, I was very eccentric. My style was very eclectic. Um, I was always a showstopper in high school, and I was told that we wore we had to wear uniforms because of me because I pushed oh. the button when it came to style at oh, wow. school to the point where I tied shoelaces in my hair so that it matched my outfits. Or yeah, it just it it got it a little intense. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I remember wearing hangers, attaching hangers to my clothes. Like I did any and everything. Wow. Because fashion was my expression. It was my freedom. Uh, it was just how I expressed myself. Yeah. At that time. So I was this black girl growing up in Oakland who loved nature, but also loved fashion. And it didn't take long for me to intertwine those worlds and really begin to understand the detriments within the fashion industry. Right. Um, 
And so I started to give my all to focusing on those intersections and, of course, beginning to mix in cultural relevancy because I came from a a nonprofit background Mm -hmm. working with inner city youth in Oakland. Mm -hmm. So my sort of my fashion, my sustainability came from loving fashion, loving the outdoors, and really caring about the welfare of Black and brown kids. Um, And so I went to undergrad school in Riverside. I went to University of California, Riverside, and got my BA in business and sustainable, no, business and environmental management, excuse me. Wow. Um, Yeah. And then went to get my master's in sustainable entrepreneurship and fashion uh, and throughout the whole journey, just really paving my way so that I create my own understanding and influence um, throughout the space. I know that was a long winded answer, but (laughs) that's kind of how I got started. (laughs) That's amazing. But I have to tell you, I'm from Riverside. Are you? Yes. I know you see our very well. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, wow. How serendipitous is that? I don't meet too many people who are from Riverside. I That's was crazy. born in Riverside. What? <laughs> and I'm sure UC Riverside looks so much different. They were starting actually, to develop really right before beautiful. I left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I was like, oh, they're starting to transition and put money into the school right yeah. when we're leaving. <laughs> Um, but wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even going to school in Riverside, I felt like because it wasn't necessarily part of LA, it was its own little microcosm. Yeah. I still felt like, not pressure, but I still felt like, okay, I'm about to show y'all that this is what I'm about. I'm this girl from Oakland when everybody for the most part was from the LA area. And again, I put on fashion shows just for the hell of it. Nice. Like my style was, it's just always been a thing for me. Right. Um, while telling people to recycle at the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, I, I, I was looking at your creative uh, brief that you sent me, which is lovely by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, Thank um, you. One of the things that um, struck me, and I made sure that I wrote this down because I wanted to like for you to touch on this a little bit. And you have um, a highlighted line sentence that says, "Decolonizing sustainable fashion, natural beauty, and holistic living." Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I I just think that that whole sentence is so (laughs) hefty, and I Mm -hmm. would more into like what does what does that mean when you say decolonizing sustainable fashion natural beauty and holistic living right so i've been in new york for about 10 years wow that's crazy yeah i've been in new york for about 10 years and the one thing that sort of sparked my interest in creating melanin that so i know i'm gonna get to the point but i'm giving you a little bit of a back yeah absolutely absolutely Uh, uh, to it'll align, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started Melanin as uh, number one out of frustration. I was frustrated that I did not see black women in particular and women of color represented at forums, at symposiums, at panel discussions, mm-hmm. um, being speakers, creating these events uh, in the audience throughout my education system. Uh, I just saw that there was a massive gap and I did not understand why. And I I was even frustrated at myself that it took me so long to sort of question it. Right. Um, And then at the same time, I created Melanin As from a place of love. And so I, I always believe that, that, you should find a balance between when you're angry and frustrated, you should find a balance of love because I think that keeps you grounded. So another part was love and learning and realizing that my ancestors were sustainable as fuck for, for, for before the Mm -hmm. ideology of sustainability even existed. Right. Um, The industry 
And so that was why I created Melanin Ass. And so all of this, while I'm navigating a lot of white spaces and, and really trying to find my way, find my voice, and obviously dealing with so many racial barriers during this time within the past 10 years, um, I realized that the conscious fashion space felt very cult-like. I feel like it became a community of white women, where white women were leading the narrative of what it means to be sustainable, mm-hmm. while they were talking about ethics, but being completely unethical when it comes to cultural relevancy. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm looking at so many of these brands, right, who are partnering with, um, who are partnering with different indigenous cultures, and you're only seeing their brand being represented by women of color when it comes to you know, them being shown as laborers, that's not sustainable, that's not ethical, and that needs to be decolonized. Because Mm -hmm. what happens is you're feeding into a system of silencing and erasing our story, our voice, our narrative, and our influence. And And the same thing goes with education systems. When I go to these events, and the fact that we're not talking about systemic oppression and decolonization as and even before colonization and how black people and people of color, um, how Native Americans, how indigenous people were inherently sustainable, how that, because that is not part of our education system, again, the erasure, the lack of representation, that intentional lack of inclusion, it's, we have a very colonial mindset, even when we're in a space thinking that we're doing good. Mm. So for me, and what I choose to do with my platform is I want to have these uncomfortable conversations in order to really create a progressive um, and transformative movement, not only on the supply side, but on the the demand side, uh, within marketing, within within everything across the board. And I think that uh, we are sustainability has not included us invite we had to create an environmental justice movement because we weren't involved in the environmental conversation when a lot of the shit that happens environmentally affects us right environmental racism affects us climate change affects communities of color it affects places like haiti it affects poor communities um it affects the black community in in, uh, New Orleans. And Mm -hmm. so, again, I think it goes back to, uh, we have to unlearn a lot of stuff, even in the conscious fashion space, period, if we really want to create a rubric for change. And black women and indigenous women have to be, the conversation has to be centered around us. Like, I don't have time for, for conversations that um that aren't centered around our liberation otherwise it's not sustainable yeah Mm, that's so good (laughs) that is so (laughs) so good that that is definitely the the points that i thought you would touch on (laughs) it's so so good and you know um I think that, you know, there are so many issues around sustainable fashion and just fashion in general. And so tell me what are the issues? Oh, wait, and Angela, before I, before, oh, I guess this is going to be to answer your question. Okay, sure. But the the mainstream fashion industry talks about appropriation a lot. Yes. But again, because the, the conscious fashion space um, was, created by, it had this sort of feel good mentality, pat on your back, you know, white saviorism, we're doing good. The sustainable fashion industry appropriates just as much as the mainstream industry does, if not more, because they're working directly with indigenous artisans and promoting that. Yeah. And so my issue is, and my partner, Whitney, who works with me with Sustainable Brooklyn, and this is something we talk about a lot is, stakeholdership. Are you giving creative and economic agency to the people who deserve it the most? These are your artisans. How do you define partnership and collaboration? 
are you are you really working to economically develop what colonial infrastructures damaged in the first place? Or are you just going there so that you can feel good? Mm -hmm. Again, to me, that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to see and I know this has become very cliche, but we need seats at the table that give us creative and economic credit, period, fiscal credit, financial credit. Um, Because at the end of the day, no indigenous community wants to be dependent on working with America. Right. No, none of them. Right. Oh, um, <laughs> man. <laughs> and so, and so it's looking at sustainable fashion, not necessarily from an individualistic point of view, although that is important. I try to carry my mason jar. I try to recycle. I try to upcycle, repurpose as much as possible. But the reality is it's about corrupt systems. Yeah. It's all about corrupt systems and the fashion industry to me and it, I could just be biased is one of the most corrupt it's one of the most corrupt and they do a good job of uh, a good job of of keeping the consumer hidden from the reality which yeah. is one reason why I appreciate the documentary the true cost yeah but um yeah it's 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 corrupt on so many levels um, but they do great at marketing and propaganda. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's truly, that is true across the board in my industry as well. And it's one of the things that I have to grapple with as a, um, a company, a small business that is emerging mm-hmm. and trying to navigate the system as well as an African-American woman and mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, it, I, I, I'm not responsible for the mess, but at the same time, I'm a part of this mess now because <laughs> this is my industry. And I'm like, so yeah, how do yeah. make, how do I as a small business make the change? And it, that's, it's a, it's a hard thing because I don't control anything. Right. Yeah. yeah so are you saying control as in wealth and resources yes. or control? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. black people, what do we, 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 we control, I think it's less than 2% of the wealth in America, very intentionally. And so when you start to look at, yo, we don't, we intentionally and systemically don't have power. We don't have control. We don't have systemic wealth and we don't have resources, but yet we still have to find ways to not only sustain ourselves because sustainability is, is not just about the environment. We have to sustain ourselves, mm-hmm. sustain our family, sustain our community and help the planet. Cause we live here. Yeah. Amongst other things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, we got a, we got a lot. That's <laughs> uh, a lot to, to unpack, but I, I uh, truly, we got a lot. <laughs> I'm glad that you're a part of that, that conversation and helping to, you know, shape that narrative a little bit. Uh, better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Working on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell me, I know you're the, the sustainable fashion. What are the issues around sustainable fashion? So somebody that is listening to this podcast has never heard of sustainable fashion or is just getting into it or learning a little bit more. What are the issues around sustainable fashion as you see them that we need to be concerned about? Okay, so, oh man, so <laughs> on a global scale, let's, I mean, we can look at health. I mean, you can break it down into a lot of categories. Um, the fashion industry is ran by fast fashion retailers like H&M, mm-hmm. um, who are creating a shit ton of clothes at a crazy insane speed mm-hmm. because trends change on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happening is it's generating a lot of waste. It's using an extensive amount of water and resources, especially when you're looking at polyester, it's very energy intensive. So you're using petroleum, an insane amount of petroleum. Um, When you're looking at a lot of the workers who are creating this fast fashion, imagine you have to 
yield out uh, vast amounts of fashion at a quick pace. So quality, it's, it's quantity, excuse me, it's quantity over quality. Right. And so you have workers who are not taking the slow approach to, you know, properly cultivate the, the materials and, you know, taking their time with the embroidery and the steaming and uh, dyeing and all of that. No, everything's done as fast as possible, as cheap as possible. So you have workers, say, for example, in Bangladesh, who are getting paid close to nothing mm-hmm. in uh, factory conditions that are catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, a, I mean, the buildings aren't up to code. Thousands. And I don't know if you've heard of Rana Plaza, but thousands of workers mm-hmm. die because of fires and explosions. Uh, they're putting because of um, because of chemicals such as pesticides and herbicides. People are literally getting terminally ill, getting cancer mm-hmm. because of the chemicals that are used and treated. Um, you have the waterways in local communities who are drinking again this is another way they're getting sick they're drinking water i mean water is such a important aspect of this whole system but it's not only does fast fashion take up so much water and and again water water is such a precious commodity we take clean water we take it uh we we don't treated as sacred as we should Um, but you have water that's literally whatever color is in season Mm -hmm. um that's terrible you have yeah I mean it's it's a lot and when you go to different countries and see how your fashion is being made and I think that's why I've studied this through school but to visually see it in a documentary uh pulls different strings yeah. Um, and then, so that's happening all over the globe. In addition to, because we're a consumer country, it's part of our DNA, mm-hmm. we consume way too much. And because of fast fashion, we'll buy something cheap and then toss it. So landfills are, and, and none of this fashion is going back. It's not regenerative. It's not going back into the earth. Right. We're literally polluting with a lot of fashion, just mounds of clothes that's not being used and re- it's not being repurposed in any way, shape, or form. Right. Um, you have, I mean, the list <laughs> <laughs> goes on, but uh, you have uh, third-party donation centers who are literally just dropping mounds and mounds and mounds and yeah. shit off in developing countries really screwing up their their local economy so their whole local fashion economy and infrastructure is now forcibly based off of our secondhand clothing as opposed to them having their own um vertical retail and and circular supply chain within their own community Mm. um and, and mind you these before all of this they were manufacturing and sewing and dyeing and and they had their own little circular system living their best life right um but we're the super country who thinks that we can just buy something wear it for a couple of days and then toss it and it goes to developing countries because we're not thinking about the whole picture we're not thinking about the whole system um and then obviously you have issues of appropriation and you have issues of uh traditional techniques being lost it's kind of like animals being extinct you have really precious traditions throughout cultures that are disappearing and and i don't know it's just a lot of a lot of sadness yeah (laughs) throughout the fashion industry um and then on top of that, I would also say you have this sustainable uh, aspect from that lens, but also you have things like H&M with the, the monkey boy mm-hmm. on his 
sweater. I don't know if you remember that incident. But to me, that has to do with sustainability. Obviously, it it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with uh, environmental sustainability, that aspect. But I think it has to do with social sustainability and continuing to feed and perpetuate um, America's cultural norms of racism. Right. And so this has to do with black people's mental health and it has to do with, I mean, it's all connected in ways that me as a black woman, I'm going to see very differently than say maybe the average consumer mm-hmm. um, because I'm looking at sustainability a lot more holistically. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so do you think that, I mean, I, I know these companies, it's, it's all about for profit and, you know, mm-hmm. just turning on blinders. I, that's what I think. I just don't care. I, I really don't know what to say about that because we keep seeing the trend of, you know, these big name companies like Gucci and their, you know, um, what was that? The black mask, the, the whatever. Uh, the yeah, is. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm, the designer mm-hmm. with the, the noose, which I thought was so shocking, like, how is this even acceptable that this is designed and then sent down your runway? <laughs> I just don't understand. Yeah. That. Yeah. And definitely. So, um, I think, well, also too, I want to add another element of sustainability that's also really rarely talked about um, before I answer that question yeah, is the industrial prison complex, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. is America's modern day slavery. When we talk about, um, when we talk about the social side of sustainability, we're often referring to artisans around the globe and making sure they're getting paid fair wages and things of like that. But slavery is actually happening right here, very intentionally, very maliciously. Um, and there are a lot of, I mean, the majority of our jail system, again, intentionally, is Black men. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of free labor for the fashion industry again, continuing the system of oppression of racism that is completely not sustainable. So yeah, there are uh, a lot of quote unquote criminals, unjustly criminals uh, in jail making clothes as we speak for free. Uh, That's very American. But (laughs) to answer your question, follow-up question, which was how are we getting away with this corporation specifically? How are they getting away with it? Uh, I'm going to give you a very real, honest answer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They are benefiting from a system that is doing exactly what it was meant to do. Hmm. So when I look at when I look at any major corporation, I have to I would be remiss if I didn't take the time to understand and acknowledge that uh, the role that slavery played on building wealth for white men in this country, mm-hmm. and that wealth was used to exploit and manipulate. That's, that, that's the foundation of virtually every industry that was built here. Right. And so essentially systems of exploitation are doing, I mean, they're doing exactly what they're meant to do and they're gonna be able to get away with it because government and public policy backs them up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what has always happened. And it's hard for a company because, again, America is a very greedy country Mm -hmm. ran by a very greedy uh, majority. And so I don't think that for businesses, and again, not all businesses, as I think there are a lot of businesses who who are making a noteworthy, a noteworthy effort, but businesses have always been bottom line. Yeah. And I think, I just think that it's been so 
far ingrained in the apparatus of how America operates to deviate from that would not be American. And so, and so I, as much, you know, I'm I'm half a realist, but half optimist at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think, I think there are, you know, brands who are setting the standard, but here's what I think needs to happen the most. It's not about me. It's not about influencers. It's not about people in marketing. I think the biggest shift is going to happen in the education system. Mm -hmm. I think when you teach real history, number one, Mm -hmm. and I know, I mean, this is going to, I don't know when this is going to happen, but it kind of has to happen at some point. Um, But in order, and this is not this generation, it's the next or perhaps the next after. Mm-hmm. But education has to teach real American history, which is Black history. Mm-hmm. Education has to teach environmental appreciation. Mm-hmm. And every, it has to be mandatory because mm-hmm. we're not growing up with an intense understanding of what's really going on and we're not growing up with a real care. I've but I do see that like generation Z they're, they're very socially active driven. So I could see them starting to um, advocate and, you know, to implement that because in other countries, it's, it's the norm learning about the environment, learning about nature, learning, learning about where we're so disconnected from the natural world. If you're disconnected from something, why would you have incentive to protect it? Yeah, that's so true. If you if you've been if you've been you know built on on greed and manipulation, right? So, yeah, they get <laughs> so away with it because it's how they were bred. <laughs> I mean, that's and and I think sometimes it's hard because you're <laughs> like it's hard to think about such long term. Yeah. But our ancestors did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our ancestors thought about long term. Right. And so I think we have to think that our place in this movement is much bigger than us. Yeah. And I think that's gonna be what the transcending force is. Yeah. Um yeah. Sorry, I hope I wasn't a downer, but Uh, no, 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 no. (laughs) No, that I mean that's real. And, you know, that, that, that's real. I mean, this podcast is all about realness and I, I've gotten some amazing and real <laughs> answers. So that is yeah. just, you know, it's, it's perfect um, for our discussion. And, you know, um, I want to ask, um, because I know you do sustainable fashion and you have such an amazing style. And I, I love to see when you do your, your thrifting and when you went, um, where were you when you, when you went to that, that thrift store, God, I can't remember. I think you were out of the country last year and you went, was it, did you go to Spain or where, where did you go last year? Uh, I went, okay, so I went to Barcelona, Morocco Barcelona. and Paris last year. Okay, so it was in one of those places, I can't remember, and you were on Instagram and you showed um, how the um, the thrift store consignment shop, I'm not sure what it was, I can't remember, mm-hmm. and um, just it was a really nice one. And I was like, wow, I would love to shop at a place like that. But you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. here in the United States, we have some really good ones, like good thrift stores and consignment. And then we have some really bad ones that are like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. giants and, you know, you see them on every corner <laughs> and you're like, another yeah. one. And <laughs> yeah. So if I, me as a person that doesn't know anything about sustainable fashion, but I know I need to make the change in my wardrobe. So let me just uh-huh. be fully transparent. I don't do anything in sustainable fashion right now, other than I don't buy a lot of clothes anymore. I don't buy a lot I of mean- clothes anymore. And I just wait until I, if I need something, I really think hard, where can I get this, you know, one or two items um, and do I really need these one or two items or can I do without? And I wear my clothes out now to where they're yeah. just like, okay, you need to throw me away now. <laughs> and, 
And yeah, I yeah, yeah. It's because I've learned, but I haven't got to that point where I found like good, like in, I live in Las Vegas, and there is mm. a store on just every, every, but it's a Goodwill our Salvation Army. Yeah. And every time I go in, I'm like, oh, gross. I don't want to shop in here. And then I leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you know, what would you tell me as a person that just does not know what to do when it comes to sustainable fashion? You know, it's not all about thrifting and stuff like that. There are actual, like, um, companies and, you know, all that. What are one or two effective tips that you would give a person like me that wants to do it that, you know, is trying not to be fast fashion, but just does not know, like, what to do. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, congratulations on buying less. I think that's extremely important and potentially overlooked in this space because we still encourage consumption in sustainable fashion as opposed to uh, minimizing consumption. So kudos for that. Um, <laughs> But then I also understand that, you know, we want to be stylish and fly and all of that good stuff, myself included. Yeah. Um, and I, I do have to understand that I have privilege and access living here in New York to a plethora of really cool vintage and thrift shops, as well as I'm around designers all the time. Mm -hmm. And so you're making me think. Because I have to step outside of my world of being immersed in this bubble of crazy access all the time. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely say tool number one is social media. Yeah. Um, Instagram in particular. I find out about so many brands and really cool style by following influencers and bloggers and shameless plug when I when I have my article um, on International Women's Day on March 8th I am going to share uh, I believe it's 45 women of color influencers and I'm changing the scope of what it means to be an influencer in in the sustainable fashion space so that's going to be a resource that hopefully expands into something like a database so that people know. Cause I realize that a lot of like your average consumer just really has no idea where to start and they don't know a lot of designers, yeah. but social media is a big one. Find blogs. Like you kind of, because it's still niche and it's still, it's, it's still somewhat of a microcosm. Uh, you kind of have to be proactive in researching, mm -hmm. you know, who are, and, and you can Google, I mean, there's a lot of different cool roundups, uh, you know, who are the coolest sustainable fashion bloggers or sustainable fashion style, or what are the brands under $50 or, I mean, at the, yeah, you kind of have to be proactive in researching um, at this point. I have a few brands on Melanin as my blog. Okay. Um, and I try to share brands as much as possible, even though it's expanded to lifestyle more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really just being proactive and understanding your style sensibility so that when you go out and find brands, you're not over consuming because you like everything. Like yeah. find your style. What's your style tribe? I think that's important too. Yeah. And make friends with a seamstress. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like that That's idea. A good too. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I find something that is icky at a basic goodwill, and I'm like, blah. And yeah. a seamstress friend who can whip me up something really dope um, for a fraction of a fraction of any price um, is really cool as well. That's a good one. Yeah, I definitely yeah. will. Because my uh, partner keeps saying, oh, I want to buy you clothes. And I keep saying, no. Because I'm thinking, like, I'm trying to, like, really be really good in the clothes that I purchase and not not, not, not do that. 
And then I'm like, yeah. at the same time, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. actually do need a few items. And then I'm like, I'm trying to think, I need to find, I need to talk around, talk to a few people and see what are the, the good, good wills and, you know, <laughs> places. Yeah. But, you know, I'm really, I'm really trying and I'm struggling with it. But because I don't know, it's just something when I go into a goodwill and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of goodwill. Oh, I, I mean, and not that I'm not a fan of Goodwills, but there's so much more out there. Yeah, and where I, I am, I, I need to find my what's local here, and maybe just talk to a few people and kind of, kind of get into that because it's that is my actually that's one of my goals for this year is to be more sustainable in my fashion and you know deny <laughs> fast fashion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I and mean I, it's I just, hard at first. It is. It's hard. And I, I haven't bought anything in a really long real. time. It is hard. I mean, that's, I'm, man, that's good. Yeah. Actually, I take that back. I bought a dress because I had to have um, headshots. <laughs> so I did buy a dress. But other than that, I have not bought a lot of clothes at all. And it's truly because I have that in the back of my mind. You know, what, 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 who, who made these? You know, yeah. what conditions were they made in? And... I just, I just say, you know what? I don't, I don't need anything that bad. I'll just keep wearing what I have until I can, I can get myself together. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to understand too is that there are people who are really radical in this space, and sometimes they're hard to talk to because they may have a certain access or privilege or perspective. But I want to definitely share with your audience that it is a process. Yeah. And don't let anybody, you know, sustainability shame you. Um, You know, if you're on a budget, you know, if you don't have access, accessibility and affordability are two really important things to consider while in this space. Right. So it's, it's baby steps for sure. Yeah. So let's segue. Tell us about um, your website, Melanin and Sustainable Style and um, what it is and why you started it. So Melanin Ask is literally my baby. Um, it's a, I mean, I guess it's a passion project that celebrates uh, Black and women of color in the sustainable, well, it started out with fashion. So in the sustainable fashion space and sort of spread to beauty and lifestyle and land justice um, because I saw the interconnections between all of that. Um, But it was important for me to have a space that represented my perspective of sustainability and do it in a way that's very fashion forward. Um, No shade to any other blogs, but I think uh, quality photos and quality interviews and just having that fashion feel is important for people to see Um, because at the end of the day, sustainable fashion has to be beautiful. Like it, yes, it needs to be functional. It needs to be, you know, environmentally friendly, but it has to be beautiful. Um, And so, yeah, I just created this space that was very celebratory um, and I wanted to share people's stories to really change the narrative and change the landscape of what it means to be part of this movement. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's very representative. It's very inclusive um, of what sustainable fashion should entail. And yeah. And what was the second part? <laughs> <laughs> and um, well, you pretty much said why you started it, <laughs> what it is. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. were actually one of the first online um, platforms that uh, Pure Home was on, and so mm-hmm. we uh, actually we've gotten a lot of people that come back and say, "Oh, we saw you on Melanin Sustainable." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's but, important. Yeah, because. Being in the space, especially in New York, and I know I talked a little bit about it having a very whitewashed narrative, is that I see other blogs do roundups of like top 10 non-toxic fingernail, polish, fingernail polishes and brands, cleaning supply brands that you should know of and your top, you know, 30 
uh, ethical brand to whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, that's great. But everybody needs to know that there are black women and women of color out here or people of color in general out here doing the work yeah. with odds against them. I mean, that's, that's in, in parentheses, but, um, but yeah, to let people know that there's a lot of work, me specifically, again, I'm coming from a, I'm very politically and socially active in the black space. And I do understand that that is my lens. Um, but it's important for me to acknowledge that there is a lot of work for us to do intercommunally, um, with regards to sustainability because of systemic oppression, but also it's equally as important to let folks know that we are out here. We are out here. (laughs) Look at what we're doing. We have been doing this for the culture. We just not getting recognized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I, I would implore people to really check out your Instagram, too, because you um, it, it's such an amazing feed. But your uh, your your um, what do you call it? The highlights and all that um, stories, your stories, your Instagram stories mm-hmm. are amazing. And thank you. I love the transparency and the, the sheer honesty of what you put forward. And um uh, like I said, I've learned a lot from you and I'm still learning <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I, I tend Shit, to check in too. with you. <laughs> I tend to check in with you just to go through everything and say, Oh, okay. I need, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and then your last oh. friend on Instagram. Oh my God. It's so gorgeous. <laughs> oh, thank so, you. I love your style. <laughs> I'm like a fangirl. Thank of you. <laughs> stop! No, stop! 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 I re- I, really I, I I want your style. That. I consider myself not so stylish. So when I see you, I'm like, dang, she really put that together. <laughs> <laughs> and so, speaking of um, that, you also have your mm-hmm. website, Dawn's Conscious Closet. Tell us mm-hmm. about. That. That's a whole completely different project <laughs> that you have. Yeah, I know. I'm doing too much. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, I mean, I came in this space. I feel like a lot of people come from the sustainability fashion space, from the food industry, or, you know, a different industry other than fashion, what I've learned, which is interesting, yeah. because I came in it. Yes, I love nature and the environment, but I came in at full throttle through fashion. Right. Um, fashion has always been my language. And so I realized, and especially coming from Cali, moving to New York, like, I, I was like, okay, I was stylish back home, but now my style game has to be proper. <laughs> and my style has always been so eclectic but it's always just been individually me. It was never to impress anybody. Like I can be sporty one day, grungy, hipstery the next day, super black power the next day, colorful prints. I could be minimal. Like I virtually am a chameleon when it comes to my clothes. And I realized that people needed to visually see how fun and eclectic and different sustainable fashion can be because I do feel like the dominant narrative is very minimal right which is cool but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's you know very solid colors and that's it Mm -hmm. and then I took it a step further and said you know what not only do people need to see like real sustainable street style but they also need to see it on a black girl again changing which was different for me because I'm used to being behind the scenes writing. Right. So I felt like it was important for me to share my style to again, um, push boundaries and, and help people see a different perspective. Um, that was unapologetically and, um, and authentically me. Yeah. And so that's why I was like, okay, we about to just show people what's in Dom's closet. Yeah. And that's it. 
Yeah, I, I love <laughs> it. And it's honestly one of the one of the reasons why I'm, I really want to get into sustainable fashion and thrifting and things like that. Because I realize that, you know, you go to like your Ross and your Walmart and H&M or wherever you shop at. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. all the same pieces. So, you know, mm-hmm. everybody is dressing the same way. You might see somebody mm-hmm. in the same outfit or the same shirt. I mean, you're like, hey, I have that same. Precisely. I know where you got that from. And so for Precisely. me, it's all about, uh, for me, it's all about, you know, mm-hmm. getting my own style and being my own individual self. And so that's the thing that I'm so interested in, in, you know, sustainable fashion and thrifting and just getting involved in, you know, this. And then also yeah. understanding, you know, how is this stuff made? You know, some of the stuff is coming from fast fashion, but once you get it, you know, from a thrift store, a consignment shop or wherever you are, it kind of takes that down just a little bit to where you're not buying yeah. what's trending right now and what's out there. Oh, that word, trend. I hate <laughs> the word trend. That is honestly my pet peeve fashion industry word. <laughs> no, but I think it's important too, especially for young people. Like at, I, at the end of the day, all of this work is for young folks. Yeah. That's where my spirit lies in yeah. inspiring young people. Yeah. Um, and I think it's cool for them to see that they don't have to look a certain way to be part of this movement. Yeah. Like this is how we can get more people interested in the space, but we can we can broaden the ideology of what it means to be part of the movement. Yeah. And I think that's just as important as written content. It's just as important as me writing my blog and sharing, you know, stories. Right. It's showing stories through my style. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> so now <laughs> we have another project, uh, Sustainable Brooklyn, um, which mm-hmm. you launched last year, um, which um, you did an event or something of that nature. Tell us about yeah. Sustainable Brooklyn. So Sustainable Brooklyn, Whitney and I, we found each other on Instagram. I'm telling y'all, as mm-hmm. much as social media is annoying and intense and oversaturated, good does come out of it. Right. Um, so I found my partner and sister friend, Whitney, because a couple of people tried to connect us mm-hmm. uh, via Instagram, but she wrote an article annoyed with the fashion industry and being the only black girl in spaces, similarly how I have. Mm-hmm. Like literally, literally we wrote similar articles. Um, and so we were like, you know what? Let and we both live in Brooklyn around the corner from each other. Oh, the universe wow. again was it was saying something, yeah. So, not to mention, we both are very similar complexions with <laughs> short hair. Okay, yeah, but I'm not, I digress. You're right, but we were like, <laughs> we were like pretty much saying, you know, again, coming from a place of frustration, but also saying Brooklyn is so dope. There's so much happening, so much energy and creativity, um, but we're left out of this conversation and we're in a space that we see the lack of sustainability in certain aspects affecting our community hard, especially when we're looking at food systems. So we're like, okay, we literally sat at a coffee table and was like, okay, we're going to start Sustainable Brooklyn. Uh, we don't know what it's going to manifest into, mm-hmm. but we want to create an engine of resources and information for the community so that Black people in particular can feel a part of sustainability and understand that this is for you guys. You guys can participate. You are affected. You can make change within your community. Um, and hopefully it's a model that, you know, manifests globally. There's sustainable yeah. Oakland and sustainable Austin and sustain- and maybe it becomes, you know, I don't know. I really mm-hmm. don't. But mm-hmm. as of now, we created, uh, we curated our first event. It was a town hall meeting mm-hmm. or a town hall, a town hall styled meeting with, uh, with speakers but we partnered with brothers and sisters who made it parlor style so that it's not 
a group of panelists speaking yeah. at a group of people. Right. Instead, we're all talking to each other, asking yeah. each other questions, understanding what the problem is, and starting to discuss solutions. Right. And I expected maybe, you know, 15, 20 people at the very most. You know, it's our first event. We had no social media, no anything. Yeah. And there were about 45 I would say I saw one white person. There was 45 <laughs> predominantly black people in a room talking about sustainability and blackness nice. in Brooklyn. Nice. I love that. And it was so beautiful. And uh, I mean, it, it let us know that there was a need for what we're doing and that people are listening. Yeah. Um, because these aren't people that you would normally see at, you know, mainstream sustainable fashion events mm. or may or mainstream, you know, you know, sustainable, sustainable, anything events. Yeah. And so we want, or going forward, we're going to continue to produce more events, hopefully create some curriculums, do some partnerships and really just, I mean, give and take kind of, you know, proactive and reactive, learning what the community needs and taking that information and figuring out how to, you know, kind of make it into something that yields results and activation. Yeah. And I think, um, last point, I think, again, going to so many panels over the last 10 years, a lot of times nothing happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bunch of people who love to hear themselves talk, but then there's no solution. Mm-hmm. And so what's exciting about Sustainable Brooklyn, which is very different from Melanin S, is that it's very solutions-driven. It's very solutions-oriented. We are helping people create eco-pledges. Like, we're really, we, we really want results and really want to garner a community um, of change agents for the everyday person. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I, I love the fact that you guys are building the table instead of having a seat at the table. Yeah, word. <laughs> I love that. Word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, it's um, exciting. Tell me more about what's in store for you. I was going to say what, about Melanin Sustainable Style, but you know, you're you're the woman behind the brand and Mm-hmm. so what what's more what what do you have in store for 2019 um what, what do you have in store <laughs> what's going on with you <laughs> I will say four words and then I can't speak much else about it okay are you ready yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so dramatic sometimes <laughs> but um I'm writing a book <gasps> that's it <laughs> really yeah Oh my gosh, yeah. that's so awesome. Congratulations. Yes. I mean, I can tell you more. I'm just being dramatic. But it's <laughs> about, I mean, essentially, it's about sustainability and blackness. Yes. So all encompassing of pr- virtually everything we talked about here, sustainable Brooklyn, melanin, like all of it. I'm yes. getting real. I'm probably going to cut. I'll probably make <laughs> jokes. But it's... <laughs> I, it's a project that I'm excited about. I've been actually working on it for three years, but yeah. not strategically. It was just post-it note here, pencil and a notebook here. So this is, so last year was the first year that I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And this year is the first year where I'm like, okay, I'm giving myself deadlines and I'm going to mm-hmm. actually do it um, because it needs to be, this, this content and context and perspective needs to be in the universe like right now. Yes. So, yeah, that's, that's amongst other things. I mean, it is, it is challenging carving yeah. out time for that. But, um, but, yeah, I'm writing a book, and then I have some speaking engagements coming up. I'll be in Portland in April for Earth Month. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking at Sustainable Fashion Forum, Sustainable Brooklyn, we're supposed to have an event in April. We have also a criminal justice uh, event in March. So, yeah, I mean, I'm consistent with 
everything else. But my new baby is my book. That's awesome. I love it. I can't wait to read it. (laughs) (laughs) And I will definitely share and then we'll have you back on. (laughs) Yes, I hope so. I look forward to that. Yeah, I think that's so amazing. And so lastly, just tell us uh, where we can find you, where, you know, all your platforms are, your website, your um, Dominique's uh, Conscious Closet and your Sustainable Mm -hmm, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, wherever you are, let us know those links. Yeah, definitely. So my personal page is DominiqueDrakeford.com, which also has Dom's Conscious Closet on it. Okay. Um, and I'm looking forward to definitely having more looks, especially when New York warms up because it's cold and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nicer weather equals cooler outfits. Nice. Um, my blog platform, my digital platform, Melanin As, and that is, ooh, how do I spell Melanin? <laughs> Sorry, it's late over here in New York. M E L A N I N and then A S S dot com. So that's my blog platform, uh, Melanin Ass. And then, and both of those, both the website, Dominique Drakeford, is my personal social uh, Instagram handle, and Melanin Ass is my blog uh, Instagram handle. And then Sustainable BK is the Instagram handle for Sustainable Brooklyn. We don't have a website yet, so we're just operating off of Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a Twitter, but I very rarely use it. So just ignore (laughs) Twitter for now. (laughs) Um, And then I think I'm Dominique Drakeford on Facebook. Okay. I don't use Facebook as much as I should also. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, you can find me at Dominique Drakeford, Melanin Ass, and Sustainable BK on Instagram. Okay. And I actually, I have one more question and I promise this is the last one. And I asked everybody, but um, I'm creating this resource of, you know, books and documentaries and um, websites and things of that nature for people that want to just have a resource Mm -hmm. or, you know, a go-to, like a directory of like information. So can you just give us maybe one Mm -hmm. or two books? or documentaries or websites of um, things that have helped you on your journey and people that you have followed mm. that nature so that we can make sure that that gets included in the list. Okay. Ooh, that's <laughs> a lot. Um, so I enjoy Tara Button's A Lifeless Throwaway. She talks about conscious curation mm-hmm. um, in her life, especially in the home. Um, I love Caroline Finney's Black Faces, White Spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I thoroughly enjoy Farming While Black. These are all books, by the way. Okay. Um, and for a fashion book, I love Liberated Threads. Okay. Very good. Okay. And what, 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 wait, did I give too many resources or not enough? No, <laughs> those books are amazing. I had not heard of any of them. Maybe a few social yeah. media or blogs that you follow. Oh man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Definitely that wasn't on your question. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Definitely zero waste Habasha. Yes. I love Aditi Mayer. And I'm sorry, Aditi, if I if I didn't pronounce your name right, but that's A D I T I M A Y E R. Um I love Celine Simon, founder of uh Slow Factory, mm. Lebanese refugee bomb. Uh, that's Celine C E L I N E S E M A A N. Uh, Devon Jackson. So she is positive obsession. She's thrift vintage, uh, upcycling. Uh, Kathleen Ellie. Um, 
she's a good influencer that shares a lot of different styles that she wears. So she's really dope. Uh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, literally. I, yeah. I mean, I can... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot. We've gotten some really good ones. So we are definitely going to add those onto that list. And it's going to be a huge resource for people to go and, you know, follow people, read blogs, watch a few documentaries, read a few books. That's so good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wanted it that way because I'm a big reader. And some of the things that I've, I've read have really shaped the way and why I do things. And then also documentaries and stuff like that. So, and then of course, social media I mean, is amazing. Khalif Browder's documentary is very heavy, <laughs> but I think it's a great one to watch um, because I think it, it's an important framework for America. Yes, I agree. But also, there's an important part, actually. I don't know if I, yeah, I mean, there's an important environmental part that the average person probably won't catch. Um, do you mind if I say it? Yeah, absolutely. Or should I not say it? Okay. Yeah. So there's an important part in his documentary where after he gets out of jail, um, an organization that takes young people out into the wilderness after they've been incarcerated as sort of a fresh start to, you know, re-energize a rebirth. Mm-hmm. And because they weren't leaving for another six months, he wasn't able to go and he ultimately create, uh, committed suicide later on. But I think it's important to understand that that is such a key, I think a critical aspect of his story mm-hmm. because I personally believe if he had a had the opportunity to go out in nature and he even expressed how excited he was to just be out of his circumstance, you know, experience the wilderness, be free in that aspect, learn about, just learn about the natural world. I think that that would have saved saved his life. And it goes back into how important the education system is and especially providing space for people to learn in the outdoors and how just how critical yes connecting with nature is mm-hmm. uh to black people especially and mm-hmm. again it's like a five minute part of the whole entire thing but mm-hmm. it was the biggest driver for me um because I, I i truly believe that could have saved his life yeah anyway remember that no, i remember that <laughs> now that you say that i think that that is so true yeah 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 oh Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Yeah. It was, awesome. it, yeah. All right, my love. Thank you so much for taking yes. your time and speaking of with course. me. Thanks. I'm so honored to have you on and just everything that you shared with us is so amazing. And I hope um, our listeners um, have gained a lot of information. And, you know, if they are starting their sustainable fashion journey, they can start. And or if they're continuing, they have a little bit more education and information to continue. Yay. Thank you guys for listening. And I am definitely your resource. If you ever want to contact me, DM me, all that. I'm very open. Like literally, I'm really chill. Like holla at me at any moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 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 you are. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Dom. (laughs) Thank you. Okay.